Hello, and you're very welcome along to the RC Rugby Podcast as we start closing in on the Rugby World Cup with just over three weeks to go until we get underway in France. And my God, do we have a lot to talk about. Bernard Jackman and Fiona Coughlin are with me to discuss. I'm going to skip the hellos and formalities, guys, because I think we need to get right into this. The the big news of the week, obviously, Owen Farrell, free to play at the Rugby World Cup. He had his red card from Saturday's game against Wales, overturned, sent off. Uh, during the 1917 World Cup warm-up game at Twickenham after uh, what at the time we thought was a dangerous tackle on Tane Basham, which was uh, given a yellow card initially, upgraded to a red in the bunker review system. Uh, but the hearing yesterday decided that a late change in dynamics due to Jamie George's involvement in the contact area brought about a sudden and significant change in direction from the ball carrier is what they're saying. And then using that mitigation... It was decided by the All-Australian panel that Farrell, who was expected by most people to face a sanction of around four to six weeks, uh, should have been sanctioned with just a sin binning. Um, I'll open the floor and we'll see where we go from this. Fiona, thoughts? It's a mess. Um, You know, I think at the weekend, everyone was clear that it was a red card and it was just a question of how long he was going to get, whether he was going to get any mitigation because he'd been a previous offender. And then it was that I was a bit surprised yesterday when it came out that he was let off. And like I get where they were looking with the mitigation, but I don't think I think using the word significant with regards to Jamie George and the impact that he had on it is wrong. Like I don't think there was a significant reduction in height. There was a slight movement off the line of, of the tackle line, but I think Farrell had enough time. I know we're talking about dynamic situation, but Farrell had enough time and enough distance to adjust, and he never looked like going low. So um, I just think it makes a mockery of the whole system that they've put in place, this bunker system that we thought would speed up the game and look to get the right decision, take away the emotion from the game. And now it's just thrown it really in the face of the referees. And, you know, I think the whole of social media was aligned last night thinking that this was was the wrong decision. What was your initial reaction when you saw the decision come through, Birch? Look, it, I think it proves that there's no point in us calling things with any kind of certainty any, at, at the moment. Like, that's the reality. Like, like Fiona and I are going to be doing COCOM at the World Cup. And, and like, can you really actually say with conviction that's that's that, that's what that's going to be? You know, I don't think we can at the moment. Uh, the game is in, a, in, a, in a, an awful mess for, in, in this part of it. So much good is happening. Um, but I think we're ripping ourselves apart as a game when people who are passionate uh, have been involved in the game for... 30, 40, 50 years, see something uh, and are, are pretty much in agreement that it's it's a red. And we know that obviously the, the starting point or the mid-range was six six weeks. So, you know, we're trying to work out what type of suspension he would get. And we know he's he's gone to, to, to tackle school before, so he can't do that again. Um, previous record we brought into him. We're saying, oh, it's, is it going to be between four weeks or, or, or around four weeks? Give or take a week, and then it's we we hear it's not a red card. Um, and again, that's that's going against what we've been watching in games for the last two and a half, three years, where there's been a push to make the game safer. Um, and of course, there was a little bit of of contact for Jamie George on the team Basham, but I don't think it was significant enough to say that Owen Farrell shouldn't have got lower, you know, and and helped helped the scenario and. I want Owen Farrell to play in the World Cup. I don't want anyone to miss a World Cup because of a uh, a mis mistimed or or a dangerous tackle. Um, but you know the flip side of that is George Moala, 
um gets a 10-week ban for a tip tackle right uh yesterday or the day before i mean you know is there is it fair like are tier one countries you know going to get different treatment uh because it looks like for him his, his world cup is over uh for a tackle that was probably it wasn't even that bad a tip tackle to be fair a 10 weeks sounds ridiculously long and then I do, think, I, 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 just, I do think that is 10 reduced to 5. Okay, yeah. But still, the point, the point, the overall point stands that you, I know they're, they're very different situations. One's a tip tackle, one's a, a you know, a, a shoulder. But mm. they obviously 100% get the point you're making insofar as tier one nations and tier two sides being treated a lot differently. And I, I would certainly say that if, if a Samoan player or a Tongan or Fijian player over the next couple of weeks makes a tackle in the exact same situation as Owen Farrell, I would be stunned if a red card was overturned. Well, the, the, the key thing now is this this case would lead you to believe that the most important member of your backroom staff at the World Cup will not be your head physio, your head of analysis, your head uh, S&C. It's going to be your brief, your your barrister, you know, who's able to find that legal case. And, that, and that's actually was said in the... In the in the in the report was basically that very difficult for a referee to make that decision, but they were able to make a decision with, with based on legal briefing. You know, and of course you're not going to have legal briefing in, uh, in the pitch. You shouldn't have. You know, I think the problem is for the referees. This is the first real high profile bunker decision, which I think makes sense. And if referees have eight minutes, or sorry, the officials have eight minutes to look at footage. And make a decision without that pressure, with your heartbeat at a lower level, and I think all and and two or three days later they find out that it's they were wrong, it undermines them massively. Uh, and I think there's a disconnect between what the referees are working at and, and World Rugby have. I, I've seen the the briefings that that the referees are are getting at the moment, and it's clear, it's clear, and there's there's consequences, and they're missing things, but they're they're working to get better. Um and then you know I I'm sure that refereeing group left that ground on on Saturday comfortable that they made the right decision and now they're being told it's not you know what I mean and um I just think that that's not good for the game it's not good for the game to have such a a, a different spectrum and and look different opinions are good for good for uh, performance there's nothing wrong with that but here I mean this is something that over the last you said three or four years our eyes tell us that's a red and now we're being told it's not a red and that's, that's not good. And I think for referees, I think the only solution to this is that those signing committees actually contain referees. I think there has to be consistency in it. There has to be consistency um, because uh, it's just sending mixed messages and it looks like, looks like we don't have a clue how to run the game. It's yeah. probably not going to happen now for the World Cup, but no. like well, that, no that will have to come in and also centralising it because there's too much... I suppose you have different people with different views. If it's centralised on every single high tackle and it's the same um, judiciary panel that they go towards, I, I think that would streamline it a lot more than the way it is now. And, you know, obviously there was three Australians. So, Southern Hemisphere themselves have been very lax on, on high tackles and, you know, headshots and things like that. And we've seen it even in the championship. There was a couple of, of key ones. So, you know, I think if it's centralised, it's a lot better. But currently, at the moment, I think Six Nations or World Rugby, whoever has the power to appeal it, um, has to go back and appeal it because otherwise it's leaving the referees going into a World Cup not knowing where where they stand. Yeah, and the appeal actually that's going to be the the really interesting thing. Obviously, the the right of appeal is there on on both sides. Obviously, Owen Farrell isn't, or the RFU aren't going to be appealing it, but it's there on both sides. Um, 
So like it was a Six Nations run or run competition this summer series, and you know World Rugby have the the right to to appeal it, but at the same time, it, I don't know personally, Birch, I I'm struggling. Well, I think maybe they should appeal it. I'm struggling to to see them actually doing it because that would be a fairly, un, as far as I can tell, anyhow, that would be an unprecedented unprecedented situation at this level of the game. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they will. Even though there's a bit of pressure for them to do it, I think they'll just let it let it go now. But um, and I, yeah, this isn't really World Rugby's you know fault. It's 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 just a mess. The whole thing is a mess, and there's going you know they they've rammed in this bunker thing uh uh situation as an aid to the referees and in fairness i don't disagree with it i think it is a really good idea but effectively it's very rare for them to to bring things in as close you know um and it shows you there was a need for it it shows you that the referees um wanted this to help them uh because they were coming under so much scrutiny so much pressure and let's be honest how many games have has the referee or a decision or a lack of decision become a talking point over the last year when we should be talking about the brilliant tries, the line breaks, the talent, etc. So I, I, I totally understand why they brought this in, but the consequence of, of, of that is it has to lead to more consistency and transparency. And this is, this is one example. And maybe this is the, this is the, uh, this is actually going to be good for the game because from today or uh, from yesterday, they work out that they can't be um, uh, such a gap between what everyone feels is right. And, well, uh, what they've been doing from a safe from a safety point of view, and then this, which is like, you know, we're back to the old days where anything can happen. You know, just throw a coin there, toss a coin, heads heads or tails. You know, to to go back to something you said a, a couple of minutes ago as well about how the the most important person on your backroom team heading into this World Cup isn't going to be a a video analyst or it's not going to be a scrum coach or anything. It's going to be your the legal team behind you, um, like it doesn't do much for the image of the game all the same as well. I mean, it's like, let's be honest, rugby as a sport, it's, you know, it's in certain parts of the world, it's got quite a, a posh elite image and having the bigger teams around the world, getting these bigger decisions simply off the back of the fact that they can afford the best legal teams in the world. Even aside from, if we're talking image of the game in the future of the sport, insofar as like dealing with head injuries, but just the sheer optics of it. I just think it looks disastrous. Yeah, and there's one fella's happy about it. Clive Woodward managed to claim claim credit. He yeah. brought he brought Richard Smith in uh, back when he was there. So Clive Woodward's going to help England win the World Cup again. Um, I'll be honest. <laughs> no, look, it is it, obviously World Rugby. In fairness, they supplement those tier two countries with with coaches to you know training camps to try and give them the best possible preparation. Um, when it comes to a World Cup, but the reality is they wouldn't have the resources at that end of it. And look, we should be, you know, we shouldn't be talking about that. That should be a nice to have, uh, you know, um, in your, you know, and it should be there to help your players get a fair he- hearing. It shouldn't be to, I suppose, pull a wool over anyone's eyes or pull a stroke um, or use your legal power to pressurize a, a panel to make a, a different decision because the tier two countries won't have that they won't have that resource and that the gap is already wide you know what i mean and they're doing everything in the power to close it so it, again it, it shouldn't be what this world cup's about and if we're not careful it, it, it could be it could be yeah i wouldn't be surprised if it if it will there's a, a few more points on this then 
Fiona, and both the kind of alluded to it as well in terms of the mitigation that there was the the late change of direction, and I got the sense from what you were saying, neither of you are fully really fully embracing that idea that there was a, a massive change in direction or a massive uh, impact of what Jamie George had done. But the other side of it is that, like we've seen decisions in the past where players have argued the fact that there was a late change of direction or a sudden impact. Grant Gilchrist from the Six Nations a few months ago was one of those against France, the Scotland second row. He was sent off for a head-high hit and Anthony Anthony Yelanch was given a six-week ban, reduced down to three, despite the fact that Yelanch was kind of hit in towards him. But what went against him was the fact that he was never in a position to make a legal tackle. He was standing upright. He had his arm tucked in towards his side, which is essentially exactly what Owen Farrell had done at the weekend. So to go back on that mitigation, how can you have the mitigation when the player, regardless, was not in a legal position to actually make a, a proper tackle? Yeah, and that's it would have been interesting to get the full script uh, of the, the review, which they're not releasing, to see where exactly that they, they found this mitigation, that it was okay. But like, Owen Farrell was standing, he had time to get low, he didn't get low, um, and he drove up and with force as well. It wasn't as if he absorbed the tackle. So, and now you have Tane Basham who fails HIA, who's out of the game, and Owen Farrell's able to play this weekend. And I just, it's just really bad luck. And all you ask for is some sort of consistency. And I know that's a hard thing to find when it's a dynamic game where situations change so quickly, split decisions are made. But when you have time to sit back and review it and you can't even get that consistency, it's, it's very tough position. And as Fiona said then as well, Birch, the fact that the the full written decision isn't going to be released. Now, maybe they might come under severe pressure to release it, but the I saw Alex Lowe of the, the Times this morning saying that he had asked about it. They aren't planning to release the the full transcript of the of the decision, which you know EPCR did for the Johnny Sexton case earlier this summer. And while people mightn't have agreed with the the length of the suspension he got these written decisions are very, very interesting and very, very good just to to get an overall picture of what was said and what was argued at these uh, at these disciplinary hearings. Yeah, totally. I think it's it's absolutely imperative that we do see the full reading hearing so we can actually start to make sense of it. Maybe we're all missing something here more than the the mitigation, um, which again isn't consistent with lots of other examples we've seen. Like the reality is there's probably mitigation in in most tackle scenarios you know of, of some description um and if it's not significant i don't think it should have that bearing you know you has there has to be an element of uh, a bigger element of care on the on the side of the tackler um which is kind of what we've been told was the priority um so yeah and if there's something in that in that full debrief that is going to open our eyes and educate us about what the future is going to look like well then well then it's a, it's absolutely imperative like we just need to have be able to actually call something and believe that uh, there's a strong chance based on previous examples it's going to be consistent with that, you know. Yeah, and that was just to, to round it off. Like that was something myself and Fiona were were talking about just before we came on air. The fact that it felt like for the first time in God knows how long on Saturday, everyone I met and everyone I spoke to about this was pretty certain. Yeah, we're all in agreement. This was a red card, and I was thinking, Do you know what, this is great. We're we're finally all coming around and getting to the same decision on all of this. And all we were talking about was, would it be four or five or six weeks of a suspension, you know, in and around that bracket where you have a bit of give or take. And all of a sudden we're, never mind back at square one, we're, we're way behind a square one at this stage, it feels like. 
Yeah, and I think like even now, most people are still agreeable that it should have been a red card. I think the only person that I've seen come out thinking that it's the right decision that Farrell gets off was Sean Edwards, which is surprising for a current coach when it could affect his team down the line. Um, you know, if he loses a player that likes to do punch or something to a high head high tackle, what would his take be on it then? So um, I think most of the rugby community are still aligned that it should have been a red card. And I don't think that's changed, even though the fact that he's got off. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, just, uh, just on his, just on his, I don't, I don't want him to get a five week ban. I, I like, mm-hmm. I think, even a two match ban, um, like I, I wanted that red card to be upheld, uh, and then look at the, at the, at the ban, and obviously after that, I, I, I think that's the most shocking thing, you know. Um, if they said, look, at, he's going to miss two matches because we feel there was strong mitigation, but it is a red card. Uh, that's the big thing for me, you know. Um, I, like, I, I would hate to see him miss the World Cup. I don't think. I don't think he had, like, he's careless. He's careless. Uh, but for me, it's a red card all day long. Yeah. Well, it, I suppose that the, the knock-on effect is that I would say, in effect, he has been given a two-game a two suspension because there's no chance he's going to be playing now in either of these no. <laughs> remaining warm-up games, starting with the game against Ireland this weekend, which is a nice segue into it. But um, in terms of in terms of Ireland, Fiona, so there's small little bit of news out of the camp this week. No real... Update on Jack Conan's injury other than John Fogarty said yesterday that he was progressing well with the injury. And I don't know, reading between the lines, it doesn't seem like he's a major concern for the World Cup. Dave Kilcoyne has a bit of a knock. So Jeremy Lockman is called in. Now, Lockman's an interesting one. I think a lot of people were surprised he probably wasn't in there to begin with when the, the squad was announced back in May. So kind of will be interesting to see how he gets a, gets on and if, if he could potentially sneak in ahead of someone like Dave Kilcoyne. Yeah, look, they didn't say what was wrong with Kilcoyne. They'll give probably a further briefing on Thursday um, when they go to the team announcement. But he had a brilliant end to the season. You know, I think it was from April he started every single game, finished out strongly. Um, Kilcoyne wasn't around. But yeah, there was questions why he wasn't in the start. But when you ask why someone's not in, who do you drop? You know, Kilcoyne obviously has that experience there. Has had a horrible year with that nerve injury. And he was given an opportunity. I didn't think he looked hugely fit uh, in the Italy game. But you know, they still had a good bit of pre uh, the season to go before the World Cup started. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out, how severe that injury is. And indeed, if Lockman gets in and makes an impact in training, you know, open up the eyes of the coaches to, to what he can deliver. But I'd still say if Kilcoyne is is fit, he'll be he'll be there ahead of him. How are you seeing that, Birch? I think Kilcoyne will be ahead of him, yeah. I don't I don't see any change. It's just at this stage now, you just need to bring extra bodies in. Um, I can't see Farrell going from anywhere outside that that bigger group. To be honest. In terms of this weekend's selection, then we'll find out tomorrow what the what the twenty three is. Um, I'll throw it to you first, Birch. Are we expecting this to be as close to a to Ireland's best twenty three available as as possible? Yeah, I think I think it will. I think you'll start to see some of the combinations that um we would presume are first choice: Henshaw, Ringrose. Um, you know, uh, James Ryan, uh, with with Ty Byrne, maybe you know at lock, um, and yeah, just start to get some 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 minutes into the into the key players. Obviously, we don't know what rotations they did against Portugal, but this is this is uh, the last game at home it's against England. Um, an opportunity to to build on Italy, and I think it'll be very close to a. As, uh, 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 as strong as Irish team as far as I can pick to be fair 
Fiona, specifically at out half, are you thinking Ross Byrne or Jack Crowley starting this weekend? Byrne has to start. I think he has to be given that opportunity. You know, obviously Crowley went well on front football against Italy, but Byrne there for the Six Nations and now he has to be given his time in this in this lead up to show what he can do. And obviously he has a bad history against England and his two starts against England didn't go well for him. But I think he's a much improved player since then. And this is a much improved Irish team than let's say the warm up game of twenty nineteen when he started that and it didn't go well. So yeah, I think Byrne has to be given that start and, and see how he goes and um then maybe Crowley will get on and see what he can do. But I don't think Byrne will have as quick a ball as they had against it as Crowley had against Italy. Um, I think it'll be tougher at the breakdown, even though England aren't exactly firing at the moment, but they will cause Ireland trouble around the breakdown or try to anyway. Yeah. And like, that's a, it's a tricky one with England works. Cause obviously like they, they haven't been good pretty much for 12 to 18 months. It feels like at this stage, but while Ireland have beaten them over the last couple of years, Ireland haven't really performed that well in either of those games as well. And if they were to have another scrappy performance against them this week, I don't know, would there just be a few creeping doubts coming out of that? Like, are, are you are you expecting them to, to go hell for letter at it this weekend? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. I think they're very, very frustrated with how they played in that Grand Slam game. You know, they, they won, but obviously there was a, um, a red card and... and they just didn't fire at the same level. And, and that's been something that they've talked about a lot. And as you say, they haven't really put into the sword um to the level they have other teams. So this is they would want they would expect to show quite a bit this week, I think, in terms of um their attack and defense and, and add to Italy, build a bit of momentum. Um that small game could be could be stop start, I think. It'll be tricky enough. So this is probably the 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 last real chance we have. And um. Yeah, I agree with Fiona. England, you know, are are powerful. I think England actually, it's you know, they actually salvaged it at the end. Not just to yeah. win, but just the way they, you know, they were twelve men. They conceded the try, and then to get you know to win to get the ball back for the kickoff and go and score. Um, I think that was a big boost for them. Um, as if they had lost that game and obviously lost Farrell, it was a, uh, it was a shambolic you know, uh, start to their to their preparation. So. They may get something out of it, but you can't see them throwing firing too many shots. Bar power, I mean, their their attacking game still looks to be very, very uh, backward and and not really clear what they're trying to do. And you expect Ireland to win, uh, and on form, we should win quite quite well. And with the with the layout of the the World Cup pool games as well, then Fiona, I don't know. Would you expect England to be a little bit further down the line in terms of their actual? pre-season preparations where you know Ireland look they have the, the luxury of being able to start out with a game against uh, against Romania England are first up against Argentina and into Japan like their first two games are their most important to the pool D- does that actually impact the the way the preseason is laid out in terms of how they're gearing themselves up like are, are Ireland in theory maybe a couple of weeks behind just with their own preparations well, I think England would have hoped that they'd be further along in their attacking um shape at, at the moment. You know, it's as Bert said, it's been pretty non-existent and they haven't fired at all. Um, I think obviously players coming back in, you know, the likes of Lawrence and Marching to bring that direct ball, but they've no real game players outside what Farrell probably brings. Um, I know they'll hope to get Elliot Daly involved a lot more, but they haven't. Um, 
are and they've spoken much about how hard they're going to England, how hard they're going during the week. That's why they're sloppy and lazy. Like, you know, they're off pace then at the weekend because they're going so hard during the week, which just doesn't seem like that they've planned it very well. But they're obviously looking to peak in that first game against Argentina because they have to. Whereas Ireland, you know, obviously have the lead in. They're looking to peak later on in September. But I think Farrell will be really, he was frustrated at times in the Italy game that it was sloppy. He expected them to be sharper. So I would assume two weeks after that, that he'll expect Ireland to be a way sharper. Yeah, it's you mentioned there the Borthwick saying, you know, we're we're going so hard. At, you know, we're, we're struggling at the weekend because we're going so hard in training during the week. And Bursch, that was giving me flashbacks right back to 2019 with Ireland. Yeah, well, at, least, at least it's them. <laughs> I, remember, I remember hearing Borthwick say it as well a couple of days ago and that was the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, there's a consequence to that. In theory, it makes sense and the sports scientists will tell you, um, look at those ex- working hard on that Thursday, Friday, which normally you would taper off. You know, that's going to pay. Uh, it's going to pay later on. But if you have the type of performance we had in, in Twickenham, um, you know, when Ross Byrne played uh, going to the last World Cup, where you just don't, you just look lethargic, you get ripped apart like England did to us. Um, I think the psychological damage that can do, the effect it has on confidence and morale, uh, far outweighs the benefits for two extra heavy days. Um, and it's going to be interesting. I don't think he'll, they'll go heavy this week. I think they need, he realises they need to, to be fresh to get something out of this Irish game because, the reality is okay. It was it was great they found a way to win, but the actual quality of rugby in the Wales England games over the two legs was horrendous. I mean, it was absolutely horrendous. And when you, particularly when you compare it to Scotland France, you know both those games. Now both teams have a different philosophy, but um, yeah, it was pretty poor. And, and for England to have genuine belief that they can beat Argentina, who are a good side, you would expect them to need to get something out of this match on Saturday in terms of. A feel good factor about the performance, you know. Um, we know their mall is strong, we know their scrum. The scrum has been very messy, but it is a strong scrum. Uh, but you'd feel they need to get a little bit of attack and flow. And they actually had a couple of opportunities, but Farrell actually ironically threw a couple of bad passes when they actually had Wales on the rack, you know. So, um, but it'll be interesting. George Ford or Marcus Smith, Tulag, you come back probably, you know, he'll, he'll add to it. And Anthony Watson, they'd have a couple of big players to come back mm-hmm. in. Um, but I think from his point of view, it'll be more around the cohesiveness and and implementing a, a better attacking. And this isn't about like their attack under Eddie actually had gone back a long way as well. So this is this it's is not, it's that, not just a Borthwick issue. No, it's not a Borthwick issue. It's it's gone back a year and a half, two yeah. years where they've looked kind of clueless in terms of what they're trying to do. So it's a big challenge. Um. One final point on Ireland. I might come back to the difference uh, between that Scotland-France match and the England-Wales game in a minute or so. But one final point on Ireland. We haven't been told the team, but, you know, yesterday, for example, Keith Earls was up on on media duty and, you know, without shedding too much light on the magic, generally, if a player is put up for media duty on the week of his potential 100th cap, it'd be fairly unlikely that he wasn't going to be picked uh, the following days. So I, I think we can kind of assume that Keith Earls is going to be involved in, in some way at the weekend. And Fiona, for him, that's obviously going to be his 100th cap. And it's 100 cap, I think, that in, strangely, I think most people probably thought would have arrived earlier, considering he was on 96 just under two years ago, but the injuries stopped him. And as he said yesterday, with the way the injuries went over the last couple of years, he thought he wasn't going to be able to hit this mark. So it is a it's a lovely milestone for him, just the the ninth Irish men's player to to hit the century of caps and and 
know, whether or not he makes it to a World Cup over the next month or so remains to be seen. But at the very least, he has that personal honour of of being able to hit three figures. Well, hopefully, hopefully he does. Um, yeah, look, he's been an absolute stalwart for the Irish team and he's hugely liked um, by the public, but also by the team. And I think he's a really valued member in the squad, both on the pitch, but more so off the pitch. And probably what he's given to the younger players as they're coming through um, imparting his knowledge. And, you know, he... I think he does deserve it. I don't think that uh, Farrell will be sentimental about it. I think he's a very loyal coach, but I don't think he'd be sentimental about it. But he'll find the value in in giving Keith that hundred cap and making sure that he that he gets it, whether that be now or whether he goes to the World Cup and gets it. But um, it would be huge for him and his family. What he's gone through, like this, was a horrendous year for him in terms of injuries and getting back and being able to finish out strong with Munster and helping O'Mahony lift the trophy was, was huge for him. But then this is another level. Uh, getting your hundred cap and just the ninth person to do it, so hopefully it does happen. And and Birch, he has one of those uh something unique. Where he seems to be just one of the most universally liked Irish rugby players a- across provinces. And I don't know. I think you could nearly pick out most international players in Ireland. And w- in some areas, there might be a little bit of begrudgery around things, but just in general, people seem to to absolutely adore him. Yeah, and he's actually quite shy reserved guy um but he hasn't got a bad bone in his body um he's someone that's massively respected uh and yeah he he gives respect so he gets gets respect i actually disagree with you i think farrell is sentimental um and i think he he wants to do right by keith earls i know for i know for conor murray farrell had worked out a long way out that all going well conor murray would get his hundred cap against South Africa in, in November. And at the time, when he when he had that discussion with some people, Conor Murray was number two. And under pressure at number two, uh, Gibson Park was number one. Mm. And Faz, uh, Faz said, no, Conor start that game. Conor start that game because he deserves to make his 100 cap at home in a in a big game for what he's given to Irish rugby. And, and that will... That will come back to him and that will that will basically be uh, the right thing for others to see if you have 80 caps 90 caps you know that uh, if there's an opportunity there's no freebies like Keith Earls and Conor Murray deserve to start big games um, but I think he's conscious of that and I think um, he would have worked out that this was a possibility if Keith wasn't injured against Italy you know uh, and, and came through that that he could make his 100 cap at home against England and um a lot of the stuff he's doing around culture is around that. It's around rewarding significant contributions to, to Irish rugby. And and uh, and and I'm not saying as I said it's not a freebie. He actually played well against Italy and he's the lowest offer. But I think there's a there's an element that this week is about Keith and Keith deserves to have that uh, moment for his family. And um it's absolutely in, uh, so well deserved as as anyone who gets under caps is. But for Keith, I think it's 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 especially significant. Tangential to to what you're saying there about the Farrell being big on the the culture around the team, like it was interesting as well. Yesterday there were a couple of people mentioning the fact that when they were in Portugal last week, a lot of players had their families over there with them. Now, like not everyone did. I think it was just a kind of a an optional extra if you, if you want to bring your your family over. You know, once you're finished training in the morning, the afternoon is yours, and you can spend it with the wife and kids or the partner or whoever. And that probably goes along with what you were saying there in terms of the. The, the culture around the team and being a little bit sentimental at times, but I suppose all of those things matter. Yeah, absolutely huge. And 
Um, World Cup camps in in, uh, in general are are difficult because you are normally taken away uh, from your family for long periods. And and again, the Wales is the obvious example that we know about, you know, Turkey, Switzerland, and you've got that lack of empathy maybe for what the players' families are going through. And Farrell has been very conscious of that. And, and you know, uh, often f- families wouldn't be encouraged to go on holidays to the same place that the team are in. But um, he realises that this is a an absolute slog in a marathon, particularly if we go deep in it. And I, I think there's they have a gap week after South Africa. Um, and I think there's also an opportunity for players to get a little bit of downtime. They have to stay in France, um, but potentially some, some time to maybe get a family holiday as well in and around that during the World Cup, they're supposed to have that recharge. Um, the reason they have to stay in France is it's not fair on the on the countries from uh, the yeah, North Southern yeah. Hemisphere if, if Ireland, England, Wales can pop off to back home. Uh, so the, the rules are you have to stay in France. But uh, yeah, he, he's very conscious of that. And um, that's very much appreciated by by the players and the staff. And just one final question on Earls for, for you as well, Bernard, then uh, I'd be curious to know, like you were on the scene, obviously still playing when Earls was in his younger years. What do you remember of coming up against him in, you know, those late 2000s when he was early on, early on the scene? And I, I presume you would have crossed paths in a few Irish camps down the yeah, years. No, yeah. 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 Uh, what do I remember? Uh, skid marks whenever I was opposite him worried that I, <laughs> worried that I was going to miss a tackle uh, yeah look he had phenomenal phenomenal speed you just didn't want to get anywhere near him when he had the ball unless you had a trickle in, inside you and, and someone else fast outside you and you could kind of corral him into one of them but uh, yeah electric electric acceler- acceleration really it was just zero to a hundred very very quick um, and actually very powerful very powerful for a guy who um who who doesn't look a, a a big man? He actually had a period where he put he got too big, uh, and then he started to get some injuries yeah. and lost a bit of. So he 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 shedded that, um, and just yeah, just a nice guy, just a, a nice fella. I knew his dad, uh, played against his dad. Um, two very, very, di- di- very different players, very different, very different yeah, very different. <laughs> but both had a both of them were are very, very good rugby players. Fiona, to to move on to other countries. Bernard kind of hinted at it there earlier when he mentioned the the difference between England, Wales, and and France, Scotland. Um, it was basically like talking about two different sports, uh, two two hours apart from each other. Yeah, to go from that, I suppose, snore fest of England, Wales, and just the excitement in that Scotland French game, and and right from the start, you know, both teams went at it full out attack. The quality of some of the tries was outstanding. Um. Yeah, it was just a spectacle. It's what you want to see. And hopefully that bodes well for the World Cup that we're going to have some games of, of such high quality. Probably not great for Ireland that Scotland are finally starting to hit some some form. It's whether that they can hold it up consistently uh, over the course of the World Cup. It'll be interesting. But like, it was phenomenal. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, it's just a shame that Entomac got injured out of it. It's taken probably one of the top players out of the competition now in, in what was really an innocuous kind of hit that he, he made it didn't look he didn't go down came off and it's just a shame to lose a, a player of that quality yeah and Fiona like Cyril Boy you mentioned Entomac Cyril Boy is out for the first I think couple of rounds he's around five six weeks of an injury as well I mean it just puts the scares up you ahead of the the warm-up games like you're going Jesus Ireland still have two more games to get through before they actually make it into make it to Romania and Bordeaux in that opening match 
yeah look I don't think I suppose you can be thinking or worried about that it's going to happen there's going to be a, there's going to be injuries hopefully that it's not going to be big injuries that rules players out because you want the top players playing at the World Cup but players can't even be going in thinking thinking about that because look you could get injured at training as well so they can't be thinking about that but it's a shame and I think actually France will struggle more not having by there as opposed to Entomac and um, you know, he'd be a huge loss if he doesn't come back after those six weeks. Uh, it's a calf injury, so it just depends how, how bad it actually is. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find out more when they, they name their, their final squad. In terms of France at out half, then, Birch, are we assuming Mathieu Jalabert straight in at number 10? Yeah, and you know what? There's a lot of people in French rugby who would actually have Jalabert ahead of Intermac, uh, particularly around control. Uh, but actually, statistically, his, his stats are the best. In terms of line breaks, defenders beating um, of any 10, but better than Johnny Sexton, better than Roman Intimac, better than Marcus Smith. Um, but Intimac has that ability to to turn a game. We saw it in the top 14 final. We've seen it over the last four or five years. He's a beautiful runner. Um, and his relationship with, with Anton Dupont uh, um, is, is seamless. So they have depth. They have depth there. Uh, I, I think Bay would be a bigger blow to them. Um, horrible for Intimac, a home World Cup. Um, you know the world at his feet, and and but that's that, that sport. Unfortunately, is going to be. It's going. I think every squad will probably lose a key a key player over the next seven or eight weeks. And then, in terms of Scotland, um, obviously they didn't get over the line and win, but at times played some sensational rugby over those over those eighty minutes, and at the very least have shown that they're going to cause Ireland Scotland enormous problems, and on their day. Are potential of are certainly capable of getting through that pool. Yeah, the first game against South Africa, I think, is a, is a phenomenal chance for them. You know, maybe catch South Africa a bit cold. Um, there, it's amazing the, the the way things have played out. So Gregor Townsend was was very much not going to be kept on. Um, the SRU interviewed a lot of other people for his position, um, and then they hit a few bright spots in the in the Six Nations without obviously winning it and they decided to stick with him. His relationship with Finn Russell has gone full circle. Last November, he was in the top three at halves in Scotland, we were led to believe. And now he's the captain, uh, playing some good stuff. Um, the Duan van der Mer, who's probably the best winger in the world at the moment, or one of the best. Um, and they've got a very good attacking mindset. And actually, what was really interesting about Gregor Townsend, Gregor Townsend as a player was a maverick um, and it was all about taking risk and taking opportunities. And then actually as a coach with Scotland, he became, after his first World Cup failure, mm-hmm. they actually tried to be more pragmatic and more controlled. And with Finn there, that was never going to work. <laughs> yeah. And that's why, that's why obviously they didn't uh, get on. But now it's like he's given them the keys and um, they, they're dangerous. They're, they're dangerous. The only reason we're not probably as as, as afraid of them as we probably should be based on what we're seeing is because in the last three or four years, we've always had their number in, in yeah. the, in the it's big game. It's the familiarity. Thing. Yeah. Familiarity. So they haven't shocked us. Um, and we know them well, and we're used to beating them with Glasgow and, and Edinburgh as well, to a certain extent, but yeah, they, on form, they're, they're, they're real, they're real challengers, you know, they're real challengers. And if there were any other groups, you'd be saying they're getting out of it. It's just obviously, um, our group is well. Obviously, if they're in the France New Zealand group, they'll be it'd be difficult. But those two groups uh, are very tough. But they would be favourites to get out of the other ones. I think. 
Yeah, and it feels like it's a weekly discussion point at this stage, but nearly every single game that's being played, it's just showing up even more how ridiculous this this pool draw has been, where, you know, obviously you had England-Wales and then you had France, uh, France-Scotland, and to put those side by side, knowing that there's, there's a half-decent chance that both England and Wales could potentially get to a World Cup semi-final. And there's pretty much zero chance that both Scotland and France are going to be getting there, like both on the same sides of the pool. It's it's just so hard to square. It is. Look, and World Rugby have recognised that and it's going to be changed for the next one. It's just a shame um, that you're just not going to see the best teams probably in the semifinals um, or indeed even the quarterfinals. So yeah. it's, it is disappointing, but that's the way it is. And I know it's to sell tickets early, but really two and a half, Two and a half years out, like surely a year is enough time to sell tickets. People who want to go and, um, yeah, I just it's just disappointing that we're not going to have the best teams probably quarterfinals, semifinals, but that's such as it. Can I just go back to Scotland and Ben Healy yeah. actually going to yeah. World Cup now, which is huge for him. Um, obviously when they dropped Hastings, it was probably clear that he was going, but it officially announced this morning. So to make that decision to move allegiances and go over to Scotland and actually get to a World Cup is, is huge for a player. Yeah, it's massive for him and congratulations to him. And just the very final point, Birch, before we finish off, just to just to throw another layer another layer into into Ireland's pool after we spoke about Ireland and Scotland. See you, Khaleesi, back for South Africa this weekend. Just to to add a little bit more fun into everything. Yeah, uh, it's a great boost for them. I mean, I remember when he got that injury and it looked like his World Cup dream was over, but uh, apparently his, his rehab has gone incredibly well. And um, I, sometimes I would argue... He he isn't in the best back rows that South Africa can can pick, but certainly he seems to add a huge amount uh, overall, um, and uh, has a huge amount of charisma and leadership, uh, and, and is a good, very good player. But they have serious talent. But uh, it's a great boost to see see him back on the right track. It looks like he's available. Yeah, and it looks like uh, they're going fairly close to to full out this weekend so it'll be interesting to see how how they get on guys that's where we're going to leave it for this week thanks a million as always for joining us i'm sure i'll see you both at the, the aviva stadium this weekend uh ireland against england is this saturday at the aviva live on rt2 and rt player and on rt radio one as well and follow the uh, rt online challenge challenge channels for uh all of our coverage of that as well folks thanks a million thank you